0: We've been in a series in the Gospel of Mark and it is showing us who Christ Jesus is and we are learning more about how Jesus uh, really just kind of works and how Jesus teaches and how Jesus, his way of life is an example not just for us to follow but it is for us to be just like Jesus Christ. So Mark chapter 6, this is very familiar, you know, the whole bread and fish and the weird story about... Jesus multiplying food and giving everybody a fish fillet and all that kind of stuff. Um, On the surface, it just seems like, oh, this is a cool little miracle. But I think if we were to look into this, there is definitely something else happening within this uh, story. Mark is a very strategic writer, and he's a very incredible writer. So he's just not telling us about fish and bread just so that we could be in awe about fish and bread. There's actually so much more that's happening in here. So we're going to read about 12, 13 verses, and we're going to pick it up in verse number 30. Mark chapter 6, verse 30, and the word of God is here. Uh, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat. To a desolate place by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he, Jesus, answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Well, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them as to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they, they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down and, in groups on the green grass so they sat down in groups by hundreds and and 50s and taking the five loaves and two fish he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and he broke the the loaves and gave it to the disciples to set before the people and he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish and of the fish and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Let's pray one more time. That wasn't going to work out with Ricola in my mouth. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that maybe we've come here this morning kind of seeking and searching for you to speak. So grateful that you just did. It's through your word that we have life. It's through your word that we, um, our, our hearts are pierced for you. And I just pray, God, that you would be mighty to save here today. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you remember where we've kind of talked about for the past couple of weeks, um, this is a part of what we said was a Markin sandwich. Mark started this particular section talking about sending his disciples out by two, right? You remember that? He's like, all right, you're going to go. You're going to go proclaim salvation. You're going to preach repentance. You're going to go show compassion to the people by casting out demons and healing the sick." And then all of a sudden the story kind of got sandwiched in between, right? The weird story we talked about of John the Baptist and all of the weird things that were happening and the, 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 the awkward orgy that was taking place. And so we, we recognize that we've got this weird story. And then right after this, we find the, the, the bread, the other side of the bread, right? The other side of the story where Jesus left off from, where Mark left off from that story about sending out the disciples. Well, here they come back. So they're now back and they have been journeying and and news has spread about the gospel and about this man, Jesus. And and he did this to send them out so that his message could be more effective because while we still have quite a few more chapters to go in the book of Mark, in fact, we're just only weeks, if not just a month or two away from Jesus's death and resurrection. So Jesus is like, look, boys, my time is coming to an end. I'm going to send you out. And so he sends them out, and now here they come back. And so it's a, it's a very, very weird kind of story here. They, he goes to them, recognizing that they are pretty tired. I mean, they are banged up. They are ready for a retreat. They are ready for some rest. And the crowds are getting crazy, and Jesus is like, let's just go, and let's go Sabbath. Jesus recognizes that even within his own disciples, there is this need for Sabbath. Now, if you don't know what Sabbath is, it's just a day of rest. This comes from um, a, a biblical theme from the beginning of Genesis. We find this theme of rest and how it is good, not just for our souls, but for us physically to find rest. And so here is uh, Jesus recognizing that there is this great need for them to rest. And, but there's a problem. And, and it's a lot of people. Now, there's two responses to the people. Now, this is a big crowd of folks, right? How many people is he feeding? 5,000. So just imagine if you are about to go on your retreat, like you're going up the mountain, and you're just going to go camp, you're just going to leave everything behind you, but 5,000 people are following you. All right, and first, that's, I mean, can we, that's, that's creepy, Right? Oh, we love this team. We love this Jesus. Like, oh, and his disciples, woo, we just love them. And that Matthew disciple, he is the best, right? Like, that's my opinion. And, and like, we just, we love them. So let's go follow, let's go harass, like, like, let's go chase after Jesus and his disciples. And so Jesus' response is different. And he looks at the crowd. And what does the text say? The text says he looks and he saw sheep without a shepherd. And he has compassion. Now, there's probably a reference in your, in your Bible. And your reference is probably to Numbers 27:17, And this is a reference to, to Moses is asking for who's going to be my successor. It's almost at the end of Moses' life. This is right before Moses identifies Joshua as his successor. And then he says, Who shall go out before them and come before them? Who shall lead them out and bring them in? That the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep and have no shepherd. This is a common thread throughout all of the Old Testament and the New Testament about there being a shepherd, and how Jesus and and really in the Old Testament how Yahweh and God is our ultimate shepherd, and His people are viewed then as sheep. Now that's <laughs> that's not the best thing to be equated to, right? Maybe raise sheep. Anybody raise sheep in here? Okay, um, sheep they stink. Um, sheep, they they can't do life by themselves. Somebody's got to take the shears and and shave them down. And who's going to do that? The shepherd. Somebody has to tend to them. Somebody has to lead them in the direction that they have to go. So if you're always thinking that sheep, that you're like, you know, the Bible, oh, we're sheep, we're so cuddly, we're so cute. No, you stink. You need somebody to shave your head. You need somebody to lead you as you are constantly looking down. You're always needing someone to lead you. And Jesus looks out at this crowd and he's like, this is, this is like the old Testament. This is like the prophet. This is like the guy Moses who's looking out and he's, and he's thinking, if no one is here to lead them, they will be about their own business and they will, it will lead to their own destruction. They have to have somebody to lead them. And Jesus still, he sees this crowd and he has great compassion on them and and what do we expect jesus to do next if i was reading this in 2022 i would expect jesus to 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 go out and greet all of them and give them a big old hug oh you've made it oh you've welcomed to desolation right because that's what the bible says they're like in a desolate place and jesus like you've made the trek welcome in and he's like greeting and he's high-fiving and he's shaking their hands and they're kissing and all that weird stuff that they did in ancient Israel and and so in Jesus but that's not what he does what does Jesus immediately do it's late o'clock and they're in desolation so what does Jesus want to do he wants to seize on an opportunity to what to do one of the things that he was sent to do and that's to teach the greatest act of compassion that Jesus could have done for them in that moment is not to sit them down yet and not to welcome them in, not to shake their hand, not to high-five, not to, to hug them and all this stuff. He recognizes that the greatest need that was in, with, within them is to be taught. It, it, Jesus sees an opportunity where people seem lost, and his first response, don't miss this, like, because this is so vital and important. Jesus' act of compassion is to immediately teach them the word of God. He is, he is teaching them, and he is preaching salvation. He is preaching repentance. The greatest act of compassion, could it be for us, is, is, is to share the word of God with someone? I, you, you see a homeless guy, and you're like, well, I, wa- I want to get this guy to a house. I want to get this guy some shelter. I want to I give him some food, and, and yeah, that's, that's a good idea, but does that, is, that, is that like eternally lasting for him? No. A, a shelter over his head isn't going to bring him salvation. You could see someone who is in need or see somebody who needs help with something. And, and yeah, please like, like, <laughs> like don't hear this and be like, well, my preacher said I'm not supposed to help anybody. Well, I think you're hearing wrong, and that's probably just you making an excuse, and you're already a turd, and you need Jesus, okay? And so like, what, what is Jesus like? He's the, he, he sees their immediate need, and, and the immediate need is an eternal need to be met, that's, that's why, like, when I, I, take, I take the word of God, like, so serious, and anyone who shares, and anyone who's standing here and proclaiming it to you, that we take this word of God serious because we know that we need, ultimately, what we need is to be taught the word of God. Like, in my heart, what I need is the gospel of Jesus. I don't ever get to a point in my, my walk with the Lord and be like, you know what, I have graduated from the gospel. Now it's time for that eschatology and beast and the rising of the West, you know, all that weird stuff. Like, like we think at some point, like the gospel, ah, it's just like elementary. Let's teach it to our kids. And then, and then like, I'll just, I'll dive into the sign gifts and all this weird stuff. But that Jesus is ultimately what we need is to, to be gospel in our life. We need to teach our, we need to hear the word of God. We need to, we need to read the word of God. We need to let the word of God read us. Because ultimately, that's what we need. That's our greatest need. In fact, a a pastor, Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you haven't heard of this guy, you should uh, check out some of his resources. I mean, he's dead, but he's got some really good stuff. In fact, most of the people I I tell you to go listen to, they're probably all dead. Um, What is the chief end of preaching? And and Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. I like to think of it like this. To give men and women a sense of God and his presence. That's, that's the chief end of hearing and the chief end of listening to the word of God. So that you know God and you have an awareness of his presence with you. Now there's some conflicting ideas it, going through this. Um, it's kind of like a he said, they said exchange, Jesus says this, they say this, and it's kind of this is weird. And honestly, if you're looking at this, it, I don't know if you've read this before and thought, wow, these disciples, they, they come across a little disrespectful. They've come across like they're just, like, who do you think you are, right? They're just kind of a matter-of-fact type people, and they say, well, this is just a desolate place, and the hour is late, so just send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and, and villages and buy them something to eat. Like, this this is, this is like them just being a little um, harsh in their tone to Jesus. Like, no, no, bro, we came here to rest, you said, we're coming out here to go on a retreat. And now you're like, oh, now Jesus has got to have compassion for the people. No, Jesus, just tell them to go away. It, and you re, like, if you recount like the times that the disciples have kind of been like this, been really harsh to Jesus. Like if you remember just like, just a, um, not too long ago, they're on the boat. The boat's rocking. There's a big old storm. They're like, Jesus, what you doing? Like we over here about to die and you're just over here taking a nap? You, you don't have the authority to tell Jesus what to do. We don't, we don't flow in that kind of authority. Never would you hear in this, in, in this context, never would you hear a student tell a rabbi what to do. So these, these boys, they think in pretty, you know, maybe, and this may be conjecture, but maybe, maybe not. But, you know, they've, they've been out and they've, you know, they feeling like a little celebrity out there. You know, the people they've been welcoming us in, they've no good, they're just calling, they're following us. We've been healing, we've been doing all these things, and now look at us, Jesus. We deserve our rest. You send them away. There's this arrogance that's built up within them. And Jesus is like, um, okay, Felicia, this isn't how it works, all right. It, it it's funny because then he says, like, no. You're going to go get them something to eat. Jesus corrects them. Uh, yet again, this is a there's a reference in Numbers chapter eleven. Moses is saying, "Where sh- where am I going to get food for these people?" And and God provides manna. And so, they, Jesus says, "Okay, you're going to go get go get the food." And and them, you know, maybe the disciples, I, b- I beg your pardon. Do you not know how much money that's going to cost to feed 5000? Now, let's pause for a second because we don't know if this was 5000 men or 5000 like humans, like people. Some people believe it was just 5000 just men. They left the wives and children at home, but that's not really indicative of how people followed the type of people that follow Jesus because Jesus is healing women and he's healing children. So if it's just a 5,000 count on the men, then we're, we're talking maybe 12,000 people here that the disciples are thinking, this is crazy, Jesus. You want us to feed these people? They recognize they have nothing. They have, what, five loaves and two fish. I, I could imagine at this point, they're probably thinking, you know what, we got him. He know I ain't got no money. He want, Jesus is the one that just told them, don't carry extra stuff. Don't carry all the extra money. Don't carry, you know, the extra tunic and all that weird stuff. Like, like just come with your bare, Just go be sent out with just the bare minimal so that you can learn to depend and trust on God. All right, so you got this framework already happening where they ain't got a lot of money. Or if they do, they're not carrying it around with them. And so Jesus recognizes this, and it's like, so you got?" And so now, man, they, I'm sure they're like, oh, we've cornered Jesus now. We ain't got nothing to eat. We have no money to go out into the villages. It's late. We're in Desolationville, like a lion, tiger, and bear going to come out here and eat us if we go travel out by ourselves. So, Jesus, you really think, yeah, we've got you, Jesus. Jesus recognizes that they have nothing And I think that when we get into that moment in our lives where we recognize we've been emptied out and we have absolutely nothing to offer, that's where Jesus steps in and does his miraculous work through us. Jesus never uses the people who say, I've got more than enough, Jesus. I got this for you. Scan through the Old Testament Jesus uses cowards, Jesus uses imbeciles, he uses morons, he uses murderers, he uses all these types of people who have been emptied out and recognized they have nothing to offer Jesus. And when we get to that point in our lives, I have nothing to offer you, Jesus, I have nothing to offer these people, that's when Jesus steps in. Like, let me just pause and just Berate the, like just go into this more like since these disciples realize we have nothing so let's just send them away like like that should speak to us that we should never be at this point in our life to where like you know I'm done I've emptied out my resources let somebody else take care of it I have nothing else to give let's just let let's let the preacher take care of it, he's supposed to do it like let's let so and so take care of everything. Like we never should get to that point in our life where we say, you know what, God? I'm retired. I'm done. I've emptied all my resources. What a damning American idea that we have in the kingdom of God. That what, you get to retire from the kingdom of God? Chapter and verse, please. No, in fact, Paul exhorts the people in Titus, the older people, to instruct the younger people. You never get to a point in your life where you can just be like, you know what, I've done enough. I've dedicated my life. It's time for somebody else to take care. I I don't even have anything else. No, it's right there in those moments is where Jesus is ready to use you and ready to do something miraculous in your life. And so the disciples, you know, they think they've won up Jesus, and Jesus is like, you know what, Just here's what I want you to do. Take the people and go lead them down. We're going to take them by this green pasture, this green grass. Gee, where have we heard that before? Psalm 23, when Carrie read it. Jesus recognizes that these are, these are a sheep without a shepherd. Who is the great shepherd? Come on, I I tell, I tell students all the time, it's nine out of 10 times, the answer is always Jesus. All right. It's, it's, Jesus. Jesus comes in and fulfills the ultimate role as the shepherd, gathers all the sheep, and he leads them to green pastures. It's a fulfillment of all of these different things that we've just mentioned, a fulfillment of Psalm 23, where Jesus sees com- the people who are lost, takes them into the green pasture, and he leads them there. And what happens is nothing short of a miracle, right? This seems like it's a it's an impossible situation, impossible task. And I would suggest that it is the strategy of God to bring us to the end of all of our resources so that we can see and marvel at who God is. So that, so that others can, can watch and marvel at how magnificent and marvelous God is. So maybe you say, I have nothing to give. I have nothing to offer. Can I tell you, that's exactly where God wants you. In your walk, in spiritual walk in the faith, and you feel like, I have nothing else to give. That's when God uses his greatest people for his greatest works. It's when a people recognize, I have emptied out myself. I have poured out my life. I have nothing else to give. Ma'am and sir, that's, that's exactly where God wants you to be. It is not for the person who has a boastful and puffed up chest, who thinks they've got it all and they've got the answer to everything and I'm the best one for this job and I think that I can do a better job than this person. Jesus would just look at you and tell you, sit down, honey. He's not going he he won't use that the hottie. In fact, the pride he knows from afar, but it's those people who recognize they have emptied their life out for God. That's when Jesus steps in. And I can't skip the fact that I think there's a little bit of satire at the end of this story. There's a little like kind of jabbing happening here. You know, the disciples are like, This will never happen. Like we can't make this work. This thing ain't gonna work out, Jesus. We just got like just this little five loaves and two fish. Like how are you going to feed like thousands of people? And then Jesus looks at them after he feeds the thousands of people and he looks at his disciples and says, now gather the leftovers. Gather the baskets and put them. Gather the leftovers, put them in a basket. How many baskets were left? How many? Twelve. How many disciples are there? At this point, there's still Twelve. I'm quite sure as every disciple is picking up their basket, they're probably looking, oh, you got a basket too. Oh, you got, you know, it's like that Spider-Man meme, like you're Spider-Man. Like, you, got the, you got the basket too? And they, they, there's this kind of this realization where, oh, okay. Jesus is just pointing out our disbelief, you know, no big deal. Kind of making it a little bit of a mockery of our disbelief. No big deal. And perhaps it is Jesus just trying to be a little funny. Like, y'all doubt me one more time and see what happens. Or perhaps it's just Jesus just growing their faith. Why do you doubt? Like, can't you, there's more than enough. There, in fact, there's one for each of you guys who are just questioning me and who are just telling me what to do. Now, there's just a few things that I want to point out that I think this story is about. It's, it's more than a, about, you know, fish and, and, and bread. And I gotta stop talking about food because I'm hungry. And I think there's more to this story. I think this story is also about our comfort and, and Jesus' agenda. I think this is about Jesus addressing these disciples who are more concerned about their rest, who are more concerned about what is comforting to them. More concerned about what is convenient for them and it, and it really reveals the heart of Jesus that he's more uh, he he is m- more inclined to to think more about what is what is the compassionate thing to do instead of what is the most comfortable thing to do you know I, I I don't think and i I could be wrong but I think like you know I've got a pretty good view of scripture I believe I don't think Jesus is ever going to come down and ask you you know what what what's what What's comfortable for you? I'll do that. I don't think Jesus has ever come down to any individual and said, you know what, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to make this inconvenient for you. Oh my me, I can't believe it. I don't think Jesus would ever do anything like that. In fact, Jesus kind of presses us. You know, I, I, I hear, you know, I've, I've been pastoring for a really long time. And I, I, I've heard people tell me, like audibly, literally tell me, and I want to slap them, but I don't because I don't want to end up on the news. But they're like, you know what? I just feel like anything that's like inconvenient, and Jesus would never call me into that. And you know, it's kind of like what I just said earlier. Ch- chapter and verse, please. You, you want to go there? No, Jesus wants to take you out of your comfort, take you out what is convenient, And stretch you more. Why? So that you can be more emptied. So that you could be at this point where the disciples realize, I have nothing else to give. That's why he doesn't call us in our comfort. That's why he doesn't call us in our conveniences. just 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 a lie of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus never calls you to what is comfortable or convenient that that's just kind of like you know what what, what makes you happy what makes you like you know what's satisfies? like i i don't want those things i want what jesus is calling me into and i know jesus has called me many times out of what is comfortable and convenient i mean my i feel like my whole life is like that like I feel like I'm ready just to get on my cruise control. I feel like I'm ready just to, you know, like live my life the best that I can. And as soon as I feel this way, it's like where Jesus steps in, like, oh, okay, you're getting comfortable over there, thrower. It's time. It's time to take you out of your comfort, take you out of your conveniences, and move you into a position to where you're still empty. I think this is also. A story of compassion where the disciples see annoyance, Jesus sees opportunity. You know, this is this is you know, this is one that I'm hello, my name is Matthew, and I struggle with this, right? Like, I'm just like, man, so many times people, and I am I never talk about y'all, but like, you know, people can be like annoying. And maybe it's because of what is comfortable and what's convenient for me, but like sometimes I view like needs and I know like we are all in this, right? We've all had these moments in our life before. Like, gosh, does we, do we have to meet another need? Do you, because I see annoyance, but but Jesus never sees that way. He sees an opportunity for the church to be the church. He sees opportunity for the disciples to empty themselves out more and more. So that God can continue to use them. I think this is also a story of Jesus using empty, disgruntled people. And the church says, Amen. Oh, y'all the self-righteous crowd. My bad. Okay. This is a story of Jesus using empty, disgruntled people. Like that, these disciples, they think that they've got Jesus trapped with, he sees our circumstances, he sees what we can't do, but Jesus doesn't see it like that. He, he's not going to send the crowd away. Like have you ever just thought, like, do I have to do ministry today? Do I have to serve? Do I have to help the church today? Do I really have to listen to this leading that God is telling me to do something? Because you say, I'm empty, I have nothing to give, I'm not qualified. But Jesus says, you're ready. You're you're ready for God's dramatic intervention. Because again, when Jesus says, you give them something to eat, they say, I have nothing to give. And Jesus says, you are exactly where I want you to be. You've recognized this moment that you are empty and have nothing to give and that's when God's dramatic intervention takes place. I'm not qualified. I can't do this. I have nothing to offer. I'm just a, this person or I'm just a, that person. That is exactly where God wants you to be. This is a story also of about God using odds that were stacked against the people. You can thumb through your Bible, and you can see that that the method of operation that God does is that he uses odd situations, or situations where the odds were stacked against them. He uses situations where there doesn't seem like there's a way out, He uses situations to where, you know what, these people really have nothing to offer, and he does his best work in those situations. Moses and the children of Israel in Exodus have their backs against the Red Sea, and the odds, and and really, there's, there's really no way out of this, because the most powerful army in history is up against them, and God says, I like the odds of this situation. And he uses a really strange way to do it. Takes a rod and divides the sea and the children of Israel cross over and the sea swallows up this mighty army. On and on and on. In fact, the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness, the children of Israel where they think their odds are stacked against them. God always found a way to move. I think of the shepherd musician boy named David who has nothing but a sling and the odds are stacked against him because there's a nine-foot Sasquatch right in front of him and this Palestinian monster is in front of David and God says I think I like the odds of this I like this I'm going to have this little musician boy which you know know, yeah I'm not saying nothing about being a musician but you know God uses the musicians, and so like God's like, you know, I like this little boy, he's he's nothing. In fact, he's like the lesser of all of Jesse's sons. All of the rest of them are good looking, muscular men, and here's David, a little shepherd boy that smells like outside. And God says, I like I like the odds of this using this little joker right here to defeat the army. I think of Gideon, who's just like, I I'm I'm nothing. And God dwindles down his army to literally just a few folks. And God says, I like the odds of this. I think of Mary, who is a 14-year-old virgin who is impregnated with the Son of God. I don't, listen, I can't understand all that. It's nothing but short of a divine miracle. And in, in, in here we are, again, with the odds stacked against her, with a wicked king, Pressing up against her, chasing her out. Right? I like the odds of it. Jesus Christ, hanging on a tree, and all of humanity stop- and I, I'm just thinking, maybe people are thinking like, "Whoa, this isn't how it was supposed to be. And God likes the odds. Because three days later, Jesus is risen from the dead. And, and, and then there's cowards who are hiding, right? Remember the disciples, they go to like the nearest building. They go up to the upper room. They're like, we got to hide out from these folks because everybody knows that we were following Jesus. And here are men and women who are cowards. And God says, I like the odds of this. And he empowers them with the Holy Spirit. And they come out as bold proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus. And, and then the Christian church Grows and then they're persecuted, and God says, I like the odds of this. God sees the emptiness of man and women, and he likes the odds of that because that's when he does his best work. This is also a story. There's so many things in this that I, I don't have time. and This will be the last thing I say. This is also a story of a foreshadowing of something about to happen. Jesus takes the bread. He takes the, the fish. And, and he does something that you've probably heard before. He, he lifts it up. He blesses. And he breaks it. And he disperses it. I think those, those words are powerful. Because we've heard those words before where Jesus blesses bread and he breaks it. If you think like when we, re- when we participate in communion, we read Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus takes the bread, he blesses it, and he breaks it. And then what happens the next day? Jesus is on a cross, and he looks at the people who are persecuting him, and the ones who are shouting crucify him, and he blesses them with a prayer, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And then we see how Jesus is breaking the bread of his body. You know, I think that this is what Jesus does to all of us. Jesus first takes us and he blesses us. When he finds us, he blesses us. And what is the blessing? It's salvation. It's what he prayed for the people who were persecuting him. And when he finds us, he first blesses us, but then do you know what else he does to us? He breaks us. He empties us of all of ourself. He empties us of our sin. He empties us of our shame. He empties us until there's nothing left of us. Why? So that there can be nothing but him inside of us. And then he does exactly what he did to the fish and the bread. He disperses it out and he sends them out. There's a method here going on. that I think Mark is a little smarter than what we kind of uh, are alluding to. What Mark is kind of messaging out to is he's like, listen, this is what exactly is going to happen to you. When, when, you, when God saves you, he blesses you with the gift of salvation, and then he will empty you out and break you. And he does that so that he can use you for such a mighty move, a miraculous move. Because then he sends you out. He's not going to send you out and give you platform or influence or anything like that if you've not been emptied, if you haven't been broken. This is the way of the Christian life. That God blesses you. May God break you. And may God send us out for his kingdom.